This is Murder Bucket. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. We didn't have an episode last week because, drumroll please, I have a toddler and she likes to share her sickness. I tried so hard to record an episode last week, and let me just tell you, there was absolutely no way that anyone would want to listen to my voice last week because I sounded absolutely horrendous, and I couldn't get loud, couldn't yell, couldn't scream, nothing. My voice was so raspy and like hoarse, it was absolutely horrible. So that is the reason we didn't have an episode last week. And the reason we didn't have an episode on August 1st is because I was out of town. Went on vacation with my family. It was my dad, his wife, and their kids. My brother, his wife, and their kids. And then my husband, my daughter, and I. And we went down to Florida, hung out on the beach for most of the week. And it was absolutely glorious. I also forgot to mention that my mother-in-law was in town last week. She came into town to help us watch our daughter because the person who currently watches her had been going through a hip replacement surgery. And of course, you need time to recover from that. So she had been out of commission for a little while. And our temporary babysitter actually went on vacation for two weeks with her family. And we had no one else to watch the tiny child. And obviously, my husband and I needed to work. Thankfully, though, my mother-in-law just retired from being a school nurse for, I believe she said, 45 years. Either she was a nurse for 45 years and just the school nurse for 30-something years. But anyways, it was so gracious of her to agree to come out here and hang out with my daughter. And I absolutely love her for that. But now we are back in our normal routine. The person who normally watches our daughter has recovered from surgery. She has agreed to take her back full time. So yesterday was actually the first time since the middle of June that she has been with her full time. And the last couple of days have been absolutely fantastic. And with that being said, that is the week slash weekend recap. Please stay tuned to the very end of this episode. I know it's not the first Tuesday of the month, But we are slightly behind on doing our True Crime News Corner for July, so that will be at the very end. Let's go ahead and get started with another episode in our Last Supper series. Tonight we are talking about John David Duty. Like many of our Last Supper series people, we don't have a lot of information about John. This is what we do know. John David Duty was born on April 25th, 1952 in Oklahoma. He claims that he was raised in a broken home and that he was one of two full-blooded brothers. He had a half-brother and a half-sister. According to John, he lost an eye during an accident in third grade and also suffered a head injury from a collapsed brick wall. A little later in John's life, he worked as a manager at the Central Manufacturing in Vernon, Texas, before leaving that job to work at the Sonic Drive-In and Pepsi Company in Wichita Falls, Texas. He later married a woman named Pam and had two sons and a daughter. Let's get into John's troubled past. In February of 1978, 
John befriended Anthony Trumbetus, and the two men robbed the Jiffy Mart in Altus, just north of the border of Texas. During this robbery, the two men decided to kidnap the store clerk, Linda Hall. They drove her to a barn in Tillman County, and once there, John sexually assaulted her, shot her in the back of the head three times with a 22 caliber pistol. Anthony then proceeded to hit her with a broom handle. The two men believed that Linda was dead, so they left. Linda was in fact not dead and was able to muster up enough strength to walk a mile to a home and ask for help. She was able to fully recover at Tillman County Memorial Hospital. John and Anthony then drove out past Frederick, Electra, and stopped in Fort Worth, Texas. While on their drive, they heard a news story about Linda on the radio and were both surprised that she survived their brutal attack. John believed that law enforcement were going to find him, so he decided to drive back to Altus, call the police from a payphone near another Jiffy Mart, and then hang up. Police eventually caught up to him and arrested him. He was placed on trial in July of 1978 in Jackson County. John told the judge that he didn't have a criminal record prior to this attack and that he felt he could be rehabilitated in prison. He pleaded guilty to the charges of rape and shooting with the intent to kill in Tillman County, as well as robbery in Jackson County. He was sentenced by Judge Weldon Ferris to serve concurrent life terms for the charges of robbery, rape, and shooting with the intent to kill, and 20 years for kidnapping. Anthony was sentenced to 25 years for armed robbery and 20 years for kidnapping. Clearly, this crime wasn't enough for John. While he was serving his sentences at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary, he decided to take eight people hostage in the medical unit on August 8, 1979. He quickly released six of the hostages unharmed. He then let Nurse Virginia Nelson go roughly two hours later. The last remaining hostage was psychologist Jim Fenwick. Dr. Fenwick conducted negotiations with John until he finally surrendered five hours after initially taking people hostage. Once again, John decided this wasn't enough. On December 13, 2001, John received a new cellmate, 22-year-old Curtis Wise Jr. On December 19, John gave Curtis cigarettes in exchange for allowing himself to be tied up to make the guards think that he had been taken hostage. John's goal in all of this was to be transferred into administrative security. After John tied Curtis's hands and feet behind him, he decided to strangle him to death with a shoelace. He then proceeded to write a letter to Curtis's mother saying this, Well, by the time you get this letter, you will already know that your son is dead. I know now because I just killed him an hour ago. Gee, you'd think I'd be feeling some remorse, but I'm not. This letter never reached Curtis's mother because it was intercepted at the prison. On June 4, 2002, John was arraigned at the Pittsburgh County Court by Judge Stephen Taylor for the murder of Curtis Wise Jr. He decided to enter a plea deal and requested the death penalty. After several court-ordered evaluations that were done by the Carl Albright Community Mental Health Center and the Eastern Oklahoma State Hospital, John was deemed competent to enter this plea. During his sentencing, John stated that he would rather die than spend the rest of his life in prison. 
The prosecutor argued that he should be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and further stated that he shouldn't be allowed to get the choice of either life in prison or the death penalty. Judge Taylor, however, denied the prosecutor's request and John was sentenced to death. He was initially scheduled to be executed on February 24, 2005. So what was John's Last Supper request? He asked for a double cheeseburger with mayonnaise, a foot-long hot dog with cheese, mustard, and onions, a cherry limeade, and a banana shake. All of this sounds like a fantastic sonic meal. He obviously did this on purpose because, like I mentioned at the beginning, John worked at a Sonic drive-in. Now, me personally, I would put onions, lettuce, pickles, and mustard on my cheeseburger, but if I only had the option of mayonnaise, that is completely okay with me. Now, I love a good hot dog, but I could never finish the footlong at Sonic. I can remember all throughout high school, my mother and I would go to the Sonic drive-in by the school, we'd get a footlong hot dog, and her and I would share it. Obviously, I'm saying if you're able to finish the hot dog, that's completely fine. I am not judging you at all. As for the cherry limeade, I personally like the cranberry limeade a little bit better. And I'm okay with the banana milkshake because that is one of my favorite things at Sonic. So what condiments do you prefer on your cheeseburgers and hot dogs? And have you ever gone to Sonic and gotten one of their limeades? Now, the real question I have here is... Did the guards get this for half price during the half price time at Sonic? Anyways, that's besides the point. On December 16th, 2010, John met with the prison chaplain, his attorney, and family. In his final statement, he stated this, I hope one day you'll be able to forgive me, not for my sake, but for your own. Thank you, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go home. He was then escorted to the execution chamber, strapped to a gurney with a patch over his right eye. And with that, I could not figure out why they just put the patch over one eye and not over both of them. The drugs were then administered at 6.12 p.m. And until John lost consciousness, he kept repeating, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. John David Duty was pronounced dead at 6.18 p.m. He was the last prisoner to be executed in the United States in 2010. And now we're going to move on to... True Crime. A 17-year-old teenager was arrested without incident as a person of interest in connection with a mass shooting in Baltimore, Maryland. Two people were dead after more than 30 people were shot during an annual neighborhood block party. Some residents in the area raised concerns about a lack of patrols in the area during the event, but Baltimore Police Commissioner Rich Worley stated that the event wasn't permitted and police were unaware of it taking place until after the shooting started. Fort Worth Police arrested two people in connection to a shooting that killed three people and injured eight more. Both suspects were charged with murder. Fort Worth Police Chief Neil Noakes stated that they believe the shooting was gang-related. A mass shooting happened in King Sessing, Philadelphia over a two-day period. Five people were killed. This is the deadliest shooting in Philadelphia in more than two decades. Walt Nada, an aide to former President Donald Trump, 
pleaded not guilty to multiple counts related to the mishandling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, including several obstruction and concealment-related charges. Gerson Fuentes was charged with two felony counts of rape in an incident filed in Ohio last year for raping a 10-year-old girl who ended up traveling out of state to have an abortion. He was immediately sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty. A tourist was seen on video carving the name of his girlfriend into the walls of the Coliseum. This drew outrage from the Italian culture minister. In a letter addressed to the city's prosecutor and mayor, the tourist wrote that he was aware of the seriousness of his actions and apologized to the people of Italy and the entire world for causing damage to the Coliseum. Italy's ANSA news agency stated that the penalties for the damage could include up to five years in prison and a fine of more than $16,000. Patrick Crucius pleaded guilty to a 90-count indictment with 45 counts of violating the Matthew Shepard and James Beard Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act and 45 counts of using a firearm during and in relation to crimes of violence earlier this year for the El Paso, Texas shooting that killed 23 people. He was sentenced to 90 consecutive life sentences. Six people were killed when a small plane crashed and burst into flames in a field during the second of two landing attempts in fog at a Southern California airport just before dawn. Collierville, Tennessee police state that an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Benjamin Mock, was fatally shot by a patient in an exam room at the Campbell Clinic. Witnesses state that the patient had been threatening someone at the clinic for the past week before the shooting occurred. Former Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten was released from a California prison after serving 53 years in prison for her role in the murders of Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. She will have a three-year maximum parole term with a parole discharge review occurring after one year. A New York architect pleaded not guilty after he was charged with six counts of murder in connection with the deaths of three of the four women known as the Gilgo Four. The arrest was part of an investigation in what became known as the Gilgo Beach Murders after the discovery of at least 10 sets of remains since 2010 in Long Island. An American soldier who had just been released from a South Korean detention facility fled across the border to North Korea, where he was taken into custody. The soldier was identified as 23-year-old Private Travis King. He served 47 days at a South Korean detention facility following an altercation with locals. He was escorted to the Incheon International Airport and was supposed to board a flight to Fort Bliss, Texas, but instead he left the terminal and crossed the border. Police served a search warrant in Henderson, Nevada as part of an ongoing homicide investigation. The search warrant was issued for Dwayne Keith Davis, a.k.a. Keith D. or Keefy D., 60 years old, who said he was one of the two living eyewitnesses to the shooting of Tupac in 1996. A gunman stormed a high-rise building in New Zealand and opened fire. He killed two people and was then found dead after a police shootout. An officer was shot and wounded. Five others were also injured. A missing paddleboarder whose body was recovered from a Martha's Vineyard lake 
has been identified as 45-year-old Tafari Campbell, the beloved chef of former President Barack Obama. Witnesses state that he was seen struggling in the water at Egerton Great Pond before he went under. Rescuers spent hours looking for him. Greta Thunberg has been fined by a Swedish court after she was found guilty of disobeying a police order to leave a climate protest. The 20-year-old climate activist, who from 2018 became the face of the youth climate movement, had admitted taking part in the protest in June, but pleaded not guilty on the grounds that she had acted out of necessity. Former U.S. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, who was court-martialed for desertion during his tour in Afghanistan, had his conviction vacated by a federal judge, who said a military judge had failed to disclose a potential conflict of interest. Oscar-winning actor Kevin Spacey has been cleared of all charges after a four-week trial in London on claims of sexual assault. Kevin Spacey had tears in his eyes as the jury at Southwark Crown Court found him not guilty of seven counts of sexual assault and two counts of other serious sexual offenses. Singapore had executed its first woman in nearly two decades for drug trafficking amid protests from anti-death penalty advocates that say the punishment doesn't deter the use or availability of drugs. She was hanged after being convicted in 2018 for possessing not less than 30.72 grams of heroin. A North Carolina man who drove his car into a group of migrant workers in a Walmart parking lot injuring six men, turned himself into police. Daniel Gonzalez, 68, of Hickory, surrendered at the Lincolnton Police Department with several relatives by his side. His family members told detectives that Gonzalez had hit the gas pedal accidentally while trying to park his car and left the scene in a panic. Gonzalez had rammed his SUV into a group of 20 to 30 migrant workers who were waiting Sunday morning to board a shuttle bus that travels to and from a nearby farm. And lastly, Lori Vallow Daybell has been sentenced to life in prison without parole in the murders of her two youngest children and a woman she saw as a romantic rival in a case that included bizarre claims that her son and daughter were zombies and that she was a goddess tasked with ushering in an apocalypse. And that concludes tonight's episode. Please listen to this promo from my friends at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast. Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of the Humankind on Public Radio podcast. Each week we tell stories of people holding on to their humanity amid great challenges, like how climate change has affected lives in Northern California. I've definitely not given up hope, but I do think that this is a moment that's calling upon us to respond. And we can choose to keep going, to kind of have our blinders on and to not change, or we can take the courage to be the immune system of the planet and for each other at this time. And we hear from a wheelchair user in Pittsburgh who had studied mechanical engineering in college. You know, after having the spinal cord injury, it was actually my doctor who said, have you ever considered rehab engineering? Um, and I didn't even know that was a thing. So that's, that's why I ended up here. We aim for the highest part of people, and their stories will uplift you. Please join us for the Humankind on Public Radio podcast. 
Thanks for listening. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all your Murder Bucket updates. 